Well, good morning. I pray that you have had a wonderful week. Is there hope for fallen trees? We're in Daniel chapter 4. If you have the church Bible, it's page 740, 740. We'll start by reading the first verse, Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Daniel 4 is a message to the world, and it comes from the most most powerful man on earth at the time. It is in the tone of an official proclamation. There's something that he wants the world to hear. These are Nebuchadnezzar's last words in the book of Daniel. And he has the empire before him. Now imagine for a minute that you were Nebuchadnezzar, and you could send a message to the empire. Or imagine that you were working for Apple, and Apple was launching a new product. And every media outlet, every news channel was attuned to what you would say. You have the platform. That's the moment. (laughs) Or if you're a sports fan, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and millions of people are watching, and instead of having ads and a rock band, you have (laughs) halftime. What would you talk about? Or better yet, the World Cup of Soccer, and you truly would have all of the nations of the world attuned, and you have halftime. What would you talk about? Would you launch a new product? Would you talk about your ministry? What would you say about yourself? What would you say about God? This is Nebuchadnezzar's moment. In chapter 3, it's very interesting. He addresses the same group of people, he says, to all nations, peoples, and languages. And in chapter 3, he makes a decree, and he says, hey, I've constructed a golden image, It represents me and my kingdom, the values of my kingdom, and all should, must bow to the image. He makes no decree in this chapter. He addresses the same group of people, makes very few references to his power, and it's a very personal word. It's his testimony. What's changed? Well, we'll read the story. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for your word again. It's living and active. And I thank you, Lord, for the way that you spoke to Nebuchadnezzar, to Daniel, to the people of that time. And I thank you that you continue to speak to the people of our time, us in our day. And we pray, Jesus, that you would teach us this morning, that we would hear your word, that it would land on soft soil and that we would know how to apply your word to our lives, to live it out, to be obedient to you, to live for your glory. And I pray, Lord, that nothing I say would stray from your word. May only your word remain with your people, that word that strengthens, that corrects, that encourages, that comforts. Lord, we want to hear your word. We entrust ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's keep on reading. Daniel chapter 4. Verse 2, Nebuchadnezzar is speaking. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. What does Nebuchadnezzar want people to know? Well, he's going to talk about some signs and wonders, and it's a very personal word, as I said. Verse 2, that the Most High God has done for me. In chapter 3, verse 28, he talks about what God has done for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not here. 
Here he's talking about what God has done for him. It's a personal testimony. Personal testimonies are always so powerful, right? When people get baptized and they share how they have met Jesus, it's always such a meaningful, powerful moment. This is Nebuchadnezzar's personal word to the empire and to us. He speaks with tremendous transparency. And I think that the sign and wonder that he talks about will actually surprise us a bit. The main message of this passage is the following. God humbles the proud in order to reveal that he forever reigns over all of life and gives to whom he wills. I'll repeat that. God humbles the proud in order to reveal that he forever reigns over all of life and gives to whom he wills. It's repeated in verse 17, 25, 32, and 34. Why would God want the world to hear this word? Why does he allow Nebuchadnezzar to communicate this word to the empire? Why is it in the scriptures to this day? 6th century BC, 600 years before Christ. That's when Nebuchadnezzar lives. What's happening in the world at that time? Well, it's a, a period of history known as the Axial Age, and the 6th century is the peak of that time. And out of the 6th century BC come five major thought streams that had a tremendous impact on the world at that time and continue to impact the world to this day. Buddhism was born in the 6th century BC. Of course, it had a tremendous impact on the East and has a, an impact on us here today. Jainism in India. Influence on India and many world religions. Confucianism. Tremendous impact on China. Zoroastrianism in Persia. Great influence on the Middle East and many world religions. Greek philosophy. Of course, tremendous impact on Europe and the rest of the world. These five major thought streams, represented by five great thinkers, they have had an influence to this day, and they all emerged in the 6th century. And it's interesting that God would be sending this word out, this personal testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, be sending it out at this time, at this moment. None of those five major thought streams will say anything about a personal God that wants to relate to us personally, that actually wants to interact with us, that would speak to us in a personal way. All of them deny that possibility. Let's listen to the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in the bed. In bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. This is a good moment in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He's at ease. He's prospering. He has solidified his reign. And at this moment, at this moment in his life, he has this dream and it shakes him, it disturbs him. He wants to know what it means. Remember, he listens to dreams. And so he calls in his wise men again. Who are these wise men, these royal advisors? Well, these are the men that manipulate the spiritual realm. They know the spells, the incantations, the rituals. They know how to make the spiritual realm work for Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom. At least that's what they think. They're the astrologers. They read the stars and interpret the stars for human life. 
They're the experts in dream interpretation. They believe that dreams will offer windows into the future. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he needs to understand. And the wise men are there to provide the counsel. Now, why do these wise men not interpret the dream for him? (laughs) It's not like chapter 2 where he doesn't narrate the dream for him. He just lays it out for them here. But they refuse to interpret. Are they afraid to interpret the dream? Because they know its meaning. The text doesn't tell us. But then Daniel, verse 8. At last Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. So let's stop there for a minute. Why a tree? Well, in Babylonian mythology, trees were important. They were understood to represent what held the world together, kind of like the the divine order of things. And so from a tree comes life, comes prosperity, comes fertility, comes growth. If you look at Babylonian iconography from that time, you will often see in the symbols and the images trees. And the tree is all often personified in the king himself. Remember that. Two times Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, hey, the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And why would he talk to Daniel that way? He talks about the gods. Remember that he believes in many gods. He's got the God of Israel on the God shelf now because of what he has observed in the life of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the God of Israel is in the pantheon, but he worships many gods. And so he addresses Daniel in that way. The spirit of the holy gods is in you. And it's interesting, when he speaks to Daniel, he still calls him by his Babylonian name. He says, Belshazzar. And it means Bell protects you, Daniel. He doesn't refer to him as Daniel. He doesn't refer to Daniel by the name of his God, the God of Israel. Daniel knows that his gift of interpretation comes from Yahweh, but Nebuchadnezzar doesn't recognize that. Verse 11. The tree grew and became strong, and its its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. And the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed and behold a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him, the stump, be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. 
This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. There it is again. So, the main elements of the dream. There's this enormous tree in the middle of the earth. It's grown strong. And it touches the heavens. It reminds us of Genesis chapter 11, right? The Tower of Babel going to the heavens. The tree is strong. And all things find shade under its branches. All things find food at this tree. There's protection and sustenance. As Nebuchadnezzar looks at this tree, a watcher, a messenger from God bringing judgment comes down and orders that the tree be cut down. And the tree falls. The branches are lopped off. And the fruit is scattered. But it's not completely destroyed. There's still a stump in the ground. The roots are in the ground. And it's bound by, an, uh, by iron and bronze for a time, for seven periods of time. Many commentators would say seven years. But seven for sure means completion for the appointed time until the work of God is done. Now, why does God speak to Nebuchadnezzar in this way? Well, Nebuchadnezzar sees himself as that tree. He sees himself as the cosmic tree. He's the one who keeps the empire together. Life is centered in him. He's the image of God on earth. He's the perfect man. Nebuchadnezzar's testimony begins with some bad news. The first point in your outline there. The proud man places himself at the center of his kingdom. Whatever that kingdom is, the proud man places himself at the center of his kingdom. How does that apply to us? Well, my kingdom can be just my own life. It may be my marriage, my family. It may be my business. It may be a school department. It may be a condo complex that I manage. Whatever our kingdom looks like, we can so easily place ourselves at the center and think that things revolve around us. What's the purpose of the dream here? Verse 17 repeats the main purpose, the main message in the words of the watcher. To the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Again, that message in verse 17 here, verse 25, 32, 34. God reigns over the kingdom of men. He's sovereign over all of life and he gives to whom he will. How does Daniel respond to the dream? Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. He's distraught. He's alarmed. He's horrified. He's much more upset than Nebuchadnezzar is. Do you like giving bad news to a person? (laughs) It's interesting how we can sit on bad news for a long time, right? How difficult it is sometimes to share bad news. Daniel's a praying man. You see that in chapter 6. I'm sure he's prayed for King Nebuchadnezzar many times. He actually cares for this pride-filled, narcissistic king. He doesn't want the dream to come true. 
What's his interpretation of the dream? It's in verses 20 to 27. He says, King, the tree, the tree you saw, it's you, King. It's you. The kingdom, your kingdom goes to the ends of the earth, and you saw a watcher come. And he said, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump. King, this is a decree from the Most High. Listen, King. The hour of God's intervention in your life has come. The kingdom that was given by God's hand, it will be removed. Your power, your glory, it'll be gone. You're going to lose your reason. King, listen. It's there in verse 25 again, this message that God wants Nebuchadnezzar to understand. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. There it is again. The message is clear. Moving on, verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness in your iniquities, by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. King, please repent. You have a chance to repent. Maybe your prosperity can be lengthened. Humble yourself, king. Listen. If you don't acknowledge God as supreme, you will be humbled. Show some mercy to the oppressed. Care for the poor. The message reminds us of Micah 6 verse 8, that verse that we were meditating on at the beginning of this year as a church. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. How many times does a king need a revelation? How many dreams does he need? How many visions? How much does he need to see happen in the life of Daniel and his friends for him to begin to humble himself and recognize that God is God and he's not? He considers himself to be God-like, but he's going to become beast-like. How many times do we need to hear the word of God? The bad news is that the proud man dismisses warnings of judgment. It's not that God doesn't warn us, doesn't speak to us. The proud man dismisses warnings. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? So a whole year has gone by, 12 months. And he's walking on the roof of this palace. And what does he see from the roof of his palace? Well, he looks out over this magnificent city that he has built. And there are many, many temples, ornate temples to his gods. He looks out over the city and he sees a bridge over the Euphrates River. He sees palm plantations, parks, buildings, the hanging gardens that he built for his wife. His wife was from Persia. And he built the hanging gardens for her so that she would feel more at home in Babylon. Another of the seven wonders of the world was the wall around the city. Archaeologists tell us about eight kilometers of wall, and the wall was so wide that chariots could actually pass each other on the top of the wall. He had built a, a New York, a Paris, a Moscow, a, a Beijing, a Hong Kong. 
And there he was on the roof of his palace and saying, ah, it's all for my glory, for my majesty. Look at this manifestation of my power. And he's unchanged. The bad news is that the proud man is blinded by his achievements and successes. The proud man is blinded by his achievements and successes. And then there's a voice. Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. There it is again. The message is so clear. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. While he still speaks, that voice comes. It comes from heaven, and his kingdom is removed from him. His authority is removed, and he becomes a beast. This tree comes down. It's by the hand of God. Some psychologists believe that he suffered from lycanthropy. What is that? That's a a person thinking, acting like an animal. Whatever it is, his reason leaves him. Maybe there are moments when he can think clearly and he, he sees from how high he has fallen. But here the perfect man on earth is now one of the most weak and vulnerable. And he's driven from his kingdom. Do we have any examples of pride-filled behavior in our world? There's a rhetorical question. You know, there's a long list of dictators, politicians, celebrities, athletes, business CEOs, abusive religious leaders. It goes on and on and on. But the message is not for them today. It's for us. It's for you and me. And unfortunately, pride runs in our veins. It infects all of us. It's so easy for us to think that life revolves around us, to put ourselves first. We get this from early childhood. We're we're taught to relish in our achievements. Our value is based on what we achieve, our successes. It gives us an identity. And it's so easy to think that our our giftedness, our achievements, our successes, whatever we've constructed, it's all of our own doing. What happens when we put ourselves at the center? Well, we can't see anymore. We can't hear anymore. It would be so easy to give the example of another person. Let me talk about my own life. (laughs) I was working as a missionary in Sao Paulo. And so you start to evangelize and people come to faith and then they're discipled and leaders are trained and start cell groups and churches. And, you know, for a period of time, it was just growth. And after a number of years, I had this thought. I wonder if I should write a book on how to do church. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? And during that period, if anyone had asked me, I would have said, it's all for the glory of Jesus. I'm a missionary. It's all for Jesus. 
And then there was some illness in our family and some financial struggles and struggles within the life of the church. And it seemed like everything was falling apart as if God had removed his hand. And I remember praying at 3 a.m. one night. I was crying out to God for the church. And I said, God, there is no glory for you in this. And there's certainly none in it for me. And I stopped. And I thought, Did I actually pray that? And I heard the Lord whisper, Ray, is it still about you? It's so subtle, isn't it? Like even when you're doing ministry, you can put yourself at the center and it can become about you. It's scary. I felt like a stump. I didn't want to be a stump. I've never wanted to be a stump. (laughs) I have never lived to see things fall apart in my life. Have you? Is there hope for a stump? Maybe you feel like a stump today. Maybe your, your marriage is broken or your family is struggling. Maybe your business has failed. Maybe you failed an exam this week. Maybe you feel like a stump this morning. Is there hope for a stump? Is there any hope for Nebuchadnezzar, this man that was so full of pride, so full of himself? Is there any hope for him? Remember the judgment is for a time. And remember, the stump is still in the ground. It's bound, but it's in the ground. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. And I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride... He is able to humble. So when he was on the roof of his palace, he's looking out sideways and he's looking down. Looking out sideways, that's the look of pride, of comparison. Looking down, he's looking down with derision at others that are lower than him. And then in his weakness, in his vulnerability, he finally looks to the heavens. He looks away from himself and he looks to God. That's the look of humility. And that is when his reason returns. That is his most sane moment. And we are most sane when we recognize who God is and who we are in light of him. He is the most high. What's the message that he wants to communicate to the world? Well, hey, I, Nebuchadnezzar, the, most, the proudest man on earth, I know now worship the God of heaven. His is the kingdom. His kingdom is eternal. He's incomparable. His his purposes will be accomplished. No one can contest what he has done. No one can confront him. His ways are righteous and just. I was merciless. I was unjust. God is merciful and just and righteous. And the good news, God can bring down a proud man. That's really good news for all of us. God can bring down a proud man. 
This he does in his grace and mercy. What's the wonder that he's trying to communicate? Nebuchadnezzar is just saying, hey, I was proud, full of myself, and God had mercy on me. He transformed my heart. And I look to God, the true tree of life, the king of heaven, and now I worship him. God can humble the hardest hearts on earth. He can humble you. He can humble me. And maybe you look at those around you in your family, the place where you work, where you study, and you think, oh my goodness, that person's heart is so hard. That man is so proud. That woman, so full of herself. No one is beyond God's grace and mercy. The good news is that God can humble a proud man. God can humble a proud woman. And he does that in his grace and mercy. What's the message for Israel? Israel's in exile, right? What would God want to say to the people of Israel? Well, their tree has come down, right? The tree of Israel has fallen. The people of Israel are scattered across the Babylonian Empire. It looks like Israelite history is over. As they'd known it. Is there any hope for that stump? Well, Isaiah chapter 11, beautiful passage. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. And so Jesse here represents the line of David, the kingdom of Israel. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Oh, it's so different from Babylon. Down to verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So what comes from the stump of Israel? What comes from the stump of Israel? Who's the root of Jesse? Jesus. (laughs) That nation that has been destroyed... That people scattered, that line of David that appears to have come to an end, from that stump comes the Messiah and the eternal kingdom of God. That is a miracle. And so the good news is that God can bring forth new life from a stump. It's good news for me. That's good news for you. That's good news for Nebuchadnezzar. Gives all of us hope. And this shoot of Jesse... What's Jesus like? Well, this Jesus, he hasn't just constructed one of the seven wonders of the world. The entire universe has been created through him. He created it all. And even though he is the maker of all things, he does not exalt himself. He humbles himself and he goes to a tree, a cross, and he dies for us so that we might be redeemed from our pride. And his kingdom is completely different. In his kingdom, the the meek and the humble, they are loved. God dwells among them. 
So different from Babylon. Remember the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul, he, he had become so proud as a Pharisee, and there was a day when his tree came down. He met Jesus. <laughs> he met Jesus, and now, then as a follower of Jesus, he wrote these words. He worships Jesus in this way. Philippians chapter 2. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Because Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him. Gave him the name above every name. One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Much better to confess today. Much better to bow today. Because if we don't bow today, we will bow on the day of judgment. But the truth is that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess and the only tree permitted at the center of our lives today, what is it? The cross. That's why Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, I don't boast in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's pharisaical tree came down, and he discovered that he needed to die to himself, go to the cross, and receive life from Jesus. The good news is that Jesus can give new life to those who place the cross at the center. He did it for Paul. He can do it for you. He can do it for me. Jesus is the only tree of life. He gives new life to every person that humbles himself or herself before him. When we die to ourselves, we receive new life. Every knee will bow. Let's choose now. <laughs> Pastor Ron's going to come up and we're going to end this service today by singing. And as we sing, I would ask that you hear the message of the Lord to you today. Not my word. What's the Lord saying to you? Maybe the Lord has been speaking to you and you've been dismissing the warnings. Are you listening? How many times do we need to hear the word of the Lord? Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and you need to do that. Do it today. Bow today. Jesus has life for you. Maybe there's an area of your life that you need to surrender. You're full of anxiety and stress and you're trying to rule your own kingdom. Maybe you need to just surrender your marriage or your family or your studies or your business. God knows. So as we sing, just ask the Lord to reveal that to you and surrender. Maybe you feel like a stump today. Maybe you feel like, well, my tree has come down. And I don't know how my marriage will ever be restored. My family, it is so difficult right now. My child has gone astray. I don't know how the Lord is ever going to bring my child back. There's new life for stumps. A new shoot can come out. Miracles can happen. 
The Lord can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. But the way to new life, there's only one way. It's to the cross. It's by humbling ourselves, dying to ourselves, and saying, Oh, Lord, I need you. Save me. Restore me. The Lord abides among the meek and the contrite, the humble. Let's sing.